Hello and welcome to our Reorg Europe podcast. My name is Sean Kureshi and I'm a legal analyst here at Reorg. With me, I have managing editor Mario Oliviero and legal analyst Minakshi Roy. In this episode of our podcast, we're going to cover a roundup of November's primary issuances and also delve into the situation facing Jack Wolfskin. So, starting with Minakshi, how did November look for the high yield primary market? Thanks, Sean. Um, investors push back on deals like IDG and United Group's consent solicitation, which we will discuss later on. Um, as secondary market credits weakened towards the end of the month, Cognita pulled a bond and upsized its loan to partly finance its acquisition by Jacobs Holding. Very sure and Group A Ecor issued debt to finance shareholder dividends. Uncapped ag- aggressive EBITDA addbacks featured in all the deals we reviewed last month, including the bonds launched by Bain and Sinvent to finally close their starter acquisition. So how did pushback influence the terms of United Group's consent solicitation? Um, so United Group sought bondholder consent to amend portability for a very cheap 10 bips. Uh, fees in, in this context should typically be in the range of 25 to 30 bips. Bondholders pushed back and United Group eventually had to pay 25 bips. Now, United Group was one of the first to feature leverage-based portability along with limited, conditional, limited condition flexibility. This is essentially another form of financial calculation flex that permits an issuer to run covenant ratios on the date of a definitive agreement as opposed to the actual closing. So the group could effectively transfer majority stake to BC partners without triggering the change of control put. United Group wanted to remove its step-down portability feature. Now, this is a feature they have where the leverage ratio threshold falls from five times to 4.5 times over time. And it also wanted to preserve portability for future use. Uh, This did not go down very well with the buy side. So is the buy side becoming more wary of aggressive terms as the market has become more volatile? Um, Investors are wary of certain credits and are pushing back when the flexibility asked for is too much. We saw pushback with the International Design Group as well in November. The Italian furniture company came to market with a Euro 720 million notes due 2025 and it ended up paying a stiff 6.5% coupon on its fixed rate notes and um, Eurobor plus 600 basis points on the FRN tranche. Now, this was hardly surprising in the current climate when Italian bonds are perceived as more risky than their European counterparts. The EU's rejection of the Italian 2019 budget didn't help either. The bonds permitted IDG to utilize 50% of amounts generated from asset sales to pay dividend or make other RP payouts. Uh, subject only to the consolidated net debt ratio not exceeding 4.75 times. Uh, The buy side pushed back, forcing IDG to move the threshold to 3.75 times. Okay, there were still some dividend deals last month. Can you elaborate? Well, Verishore and Grupe Eco raised debt to pay shareholder dividends. Now, Verishore sought to raise 1.8 billion of high yield bonds and leverage loans to pay shareholders about 1.5 billion in dividends. Now subscribers familiar with Very Sure would hardly be surprised. The group has marketed a dividend recap every year since 2016. Um, Carved baskets in, in these bonds were quite generous with thresholds that were formulated as grower baskets based on either total assets or on consolidated EBITDA. 
Now, holders of very sure senior notes are exposed to the risk of not recovering on their collateral as effectively rank behind senior secured, senior credit facilities and hedging counterparties um, in terms of enforcement proceeds. Group A Acor followed very sure with a new 255 million five-year senior secured floating rate note to fund distribution to shareholders. Uh, note holders here face the risk of collateral dilution again in the future if RCF commitment amounts are increased or additional priority debt or hedging obligations are incurred. Interesting. So what happened with uh, Cognita? Cognita essentially found the primary market too expensive for its palate. Uh, Switzerland's rich Jacobs family floated a 225 million senior lien note, second lien note to repay the bridge facility that had used to acquire Cognita from KKR in September. The covenant package featured aggressive addbacks as well as an upfront credit of Euro 105 million in the form of Gordian debt. And it also had a grow of credit facility basket set at 575% EBITDA. Now, Cognita also faces a maturity wall in 2025 or uh, with the proposed bonds maturing in 2026, shortly after a 450 million term loan maturing in October 2025 and 100 million RCF maturing in April 2025. So the bond was always going to be uh, tough to place. Eventually, the Jacobs family had to pull the bond and instead invest an additional 159 million in equity while increasing the loan part of the financing. So EBITDA adbacks have featured on most issuances this year. How is that trend developing? Well, this is definitely here to stay. Uh, we saw Stardust parent company NIDA take advantage of this um, to further Stardust's acquisitive strategy. November closed with uh, Stardust 250 million bond due 2025, which priced at 97.4 with a 7.25% coupon. Bain and Sinven finally closed their 1.5 billion acquisition of Stardust and included approximately 85 million in uncapped EBITDA addbacks. Now, investors would be concerned about the company's ability to deliver on these projected cost savings. Uh, Stada also had generous provisions for debt incurrents and an RP income basket predated by more than a year and 60 million in upfront credit. Thanks, Manakshi. We heard last week that German retailer Jack Wolfskin was sold. Mario, what's the background on this? It was quite a, an interesting transaction, Sean. Um, while retailers across Europe and the world fight for a reason to exist uh, amid secular decline in a competitive market, Jack Wolfskin was actually sold to Callaway Golf Company, a Californian company, for about $476 million, which equates to a whopping 12 times um, full year 2018 EBITDA valuation. And this was something quite interesting, the high multiple and the context of the transaction surprised quite a lot of investors that we spoke to. Um, so Jack Wolfskin was actually taken over by lenders in a debt restructuring in July 2017 from private equity Blackstone. And from a time point of view, 17, 18 months to successfully exit a business after a debt for equity swap is a very short period of time in the restructuring world. Um, if we look a little bit at returns, although we don't have all numbers at hand in terms of hedge fund entry prices, etc., back of the envelope calculations show that the purchase price, which equates to around 418 million euro, actually covers the company operating company debt, which is 110 million euro, and it leaves around 308 million um, 
to creditors to basically cover for 210 million holding company debt, uh, which is a quasi equity instrument, and the remainder just goes to shareholders. Um, the shareholders were creditors. Um, the creditors who bought the, de the debt at discount in the 2015-2016 period, and again, we don't know exactly the levels, but he was quite deep discount. Uh, they recovered all their investment and multiplied their returns in a relatively short period of time. We're talking about two years, basically, from the last time that the debt traded. Um, on top of that, the funds who provided a 25 million super senior new money facility they actually got paid Euribor plus 4% in cash and 8% peak coupon. And just to add to that, the facility was, was actually repaid from the company's cash earlier this year. And finally, there was also an exit fee agreed at the time of the restructuring. Obviously, lenders knew they were going to exit this of 400 basis points. Okay, so who are the winners in this deal? I would say the winners are the funds uh, that held the debt and took over the company and therefore became also shareholders. Uh, to our knowledge, at the time of the deal uh, approval, um, CQS, uh, Bain and HIG Bayside were funds with board representation. Um, other lenders that we know uh, that were, in, were involved in the deal at the time of the workout included GSO, Avenue Capital, Blue Mountain, Robus, IKB and Bybrook. Uh, as you can see, most of the uh, original lenders, uh, which was uh, CLOs and banks that sold out, except for a couple of them, IKB remained in there. Um, but you also have some losers. Um, people obviously are not particular, were not particularly happy at the time. Blackstone, uh, the private equity that used to own the company, had bought it for about 730 million euro at seven times multiple of EBITDA in 2011. Uh, they invested over 300 million in equity. Uh, 300 million euro in equity in the company. And so obviously uh, they lost the business um, during the, when the restructuring happened. Um, in terms of motivations for Callaway, um, they seem to basically find a lot of uh, synergies uh, in this business. Um, they say we complement their golf business, both geographically and from a seasonality perspective. Uh, they had a call with investors um, the day they announced the, the transaction. And they said, they plan to use um, existing distribution centers and experience in North America to help Jack Wolfskin penetrate this market. And on the other hand, they will use Jack Wolfskin uh, distribution network in Hamburg to expand on kind of cross sell their product. Um, finally, Callaway actually intends to finance this transa transaction with debt. Um, they are raising a $476 million terminal facility, uh, which is going to be provided uh, for the time being, uh, bridge facility by Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, and JP Morgan. Thanks, Mario. That's all from this week's Europe podcast. We will be back in two weeks.